0: Today's scripture reading comes from 2nd Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And in their prayers for your, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to
1: God. Creation for your singing. Hey, everybody. This is the first uh, of a couple. Um, I was passed a note that is... Just a little bit of instruction for the rest of the service, so i 'm reading it okay um, today is first of three weeks of conversation about generosity, and I will say that generosity is one of my very favorite things to talk about, um, and so I hope that you 'll join me in some of this excitement today we 're going to talk about gratitude next week we 're going to talk about offering in the Hebrew scriptures particularly one Hebrew word that I love, karav or korban. And then week three, we're going to talk about scarcity versus abundance, which are kind of the two worldviews that we live within um, and that the Bible sort of presents to us. Um, but today I want to start with this phrase right here. Um, let's read it together. Uh, I'll say first, generosity is the engine of the universe. Will you, can you read it with me? I want to hear what it sounds like from you. I googled this, and my name came up whenever, uh, like, the first hit. Uh, I wasn't sure if I'd come up with it or not. It's one of the ways that I check these things. Um, so this is sort of a, a coming together of a lot of different uh, quotes and beliefs and sort of theological presuppositions. And this is one of the phrases that sits underneath our community. We have these kind of core convictions that as a staff, as a leadership team, we talk about all the time. And this one right here uh, is one that I brought to the table. And I mean, it was already here. It's just this is the language I use for it. Generosity the engine of the universe. I want to talk about what I mean by that today. You heard in 2 Corinthians from the reading today, and really if you read all of chapter 8 and 9, you would hear the way that Paul is talking about how to be generous, particularly in this instance financially. Uh, with gifts and offerings to the larger community of faith, particularly communities that are not local, but sort of spread around in different areas, taking up offerings for the poor and for the work of ministry that's happening at the time. And there's a couple of things that show up in this passage that show up in a lot of the passages about generosity, particularly that giving, sort of overflowing giving, is related to thanksgiving or gratitude Uh, and a recognition of the abundance that is already moving toward us. The reason that I use the language of engine here is there is something very, very dynamic and kinetic about generosity and gratitude. It's not a static concept. It's not a closed system. It's an open system. And the more that we enter into it in the way that the scriptures invite us, the more we find ourselves caught up in what we would call the flow of God. The best way to understand this flow, Jesus uses the phrase living water. That's what's on offer from God, is living water, not static, not uh sort of not frozen or, or cordoned off or stale, but water that flows. And generosity, it moves us into the flow of God. Okay. First thing we've got to say here is that there are two worlds always operating at the same time. And we're always asked to choose between these two worlds. I'm going to use the language of a gift economy and a market economy. Market economy is the way that most of us think about money moving around. The way that banks and lending and debt work, the way that possessions function in private property, the way that uh, money is accumulated or dispersed. And it's got its own rules. It's got its own set of logics. We all operate inside of a market economy. I don't have, this is not a sermon that's going to try to tear down uh, free market capitalism. That's a different sermon. And I can't wait to share that one with you. i <laughs> only like halfway joking. Uh, a gift economy is actually, I believe, the way that goods, time, grace move in a community of faith. It's a very different way to order our lives together. For instance, in a gift economy, and the book I think I've brought up with me more than any other book with preaching outside of the scriptures is this book right here by Lewis Hyde called The Gift. And I I don't really tell many people to buy it unless you're really into this kind of thing because it's kind of like a a weird book. Um, Not an easy, quick read, but it's been life-changing for me. He's talking about how gift economies function in artistic communities. There are certain fields or vocations that lend themselves to thinking about the offering you give to the world as a gift, not as like a market commodified good. I think about my sermons this way, actually. There's not like um, folks who were on the board or been on the board, you don't time me and say like John Jay earned a third of his salary today while he was preaching, but he went 10 minutes short, so that was like 10% less. We don't. It's not how we tabulate up this kind of work. It's an offering it's an overflow of something that we've been doing for a little bit together Um, in a gift economy goods move by their very nature they have to be passed along if you hold on to one of these gifts inside of a gift economy it, it like perverts the gift itself now That means that in the gift economy, the goal is for the gift to move. As soon as I hand it over, you're handing it over. As soon as I hand it over, you're handing it over. We pass this thing around. It's like living water. It never stays just with you. This is exactly how we talk about benediction here. That blessing is, in fact, part of the flow of a gift economy. And whenever you receive blessing, which we are receiving all the time, if we can be aware of it, then our our posture should be one of openness. So that it moves through us and doesn't stay with us. In a market economy, you gather and save and store up your goods. You do not move them on. You make sure you have a bigger savings account. You have bigger storehouses for grain. You're hedging against the future. It closes you in on yourself if you're not careful. This is part of why Jesus is so obsessed about talking about money. It's because there is a danger that you can get trapped within a system. This is exactly what happens throughout the scriptures in all kinds of ways. So this is going to be in view for the next three weeks. And we're always going to have to sort of choose which world we believe in. But I want to tell you a story about some jewelry uh, as we get started out of the scriptures. Can you guess which book it's from? It's Exodus. It's my favorite book. Uh, The book of Exodus talks about the liberation of God's people from captivity in Egypt. But the second half of the book, which doesn't usually get preached on very much, is the story about the tabernacle. And it's split up into three sections. The first section starts about chapter 25 and moves to about chapter 32. And it talks about the preparations for building the tabernacle. And the very first thing that God says to Moses about how to build the tabernacle is that you're supposed to take up an offering. He says, go to the people and ask them for an offering for all of the things that we're going to need to build this tabernacle. And he listed out this much gold, this much jewels, this kind of wood, this kind of fabric. And so this instructions are given for how to build a tabernacle for chapter after chapter. It is not super exciting reading. I'll go on ahead and admit it. Uh, But it is very, very important reading. And so you get this command. They've got all of this jewelry they left Egypt with. It's this kind of footnote after they leave Egypt that they despoil the Egyptians. Somehow they are given all kinds of treasures on the way out of town. And so the reason for those is so that they can build, sort of build the world as God imagined it, in the micro, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, where God will dwell with God's people. Instructions on taking up an offering. And it's very specific. God says to Moses, for all of those who are willing, they should give according to what they feel called to give. After the preparations, there's this little story that happens in the middle. It's the story of the golden calf. This is the one we know most viscerally out of the book of Exodus. The people get really anxious. Anxiety and fear are strong indicators you are in a market economy, not in a gift economy. They become fearful that God is very far away from them because Moses is very far away from them. And so Aaron, the leader in charge of the people while Moses is talking to God, decides he's got to come up with a plan for how to assuage this people's anxiety. And so he says to them, give me your gold. He doesn't say for all of those who are willing, who feel so called out of joy and gladness, no, everyone hand over your earrings. And he takes the gold, throws it in the fire, and it says out comes this golden calf. And they sort of move all of their anxiety and fear into this object. Then you get the fallout of that story, God's forgiveness for God's people. And then coming out of the golden calf story, you move back into the tabernacle story. And now it's time to build the tabernacle. And so in instructions for all of those who are willing to bring... Now the call goes out. All right, we're going to actually gather everything together for what we need to build this tabernacle. So people start to come forward and Danny brings a little bit forward and Theo brings a little bit forward and Cynthia brings a little bit forward and it keeps coming. And there are these two skilled sort of craftsmen who are helping to build this thing. And at some point they go to Moses and they say, we have too much stuff. Can you please tell the people to quit bringing stuff forward? Not compelled, This is not an extortion. It is a gift freely given from a people who've just been forgiven. And it overflows the container. It's this beautiful phrase and line and idea that when generosity is matched with recognition of what God has done, it just is like unstoppable. So they build the tabernacle. There's a story that I read this week about... Uh, These folks who visit from uh, the West, from uh, Western Europe, actually, to an indigenous population in uh, the bush area of South Africa. They live with them for a while. And then as they're leaving, uh, this couple leaves with them a gift. For each in the tribe, they're given a necklace. And this necklace is uh, this set of shells. So it's like 20 gray shells and this one larger brown shell. And they hand this, these necklaces over to the community, and then they leave. And when they come back years later, they realize that all of the necklaces are gone. And they're not simply gone, they've been transformed. There aren't even necklaces anymore. There's just shells all around the community. And then there are these shells. They've broken the necklaces apart to give them away to their neighbors and to other tribes nearby. This gift that was for them did not stay with them. In fact, its very form changes and transforms as it moves away from them. It's this kind of radical newness that has happened. But gift economies are prevalent inside these indigenous communities whose communal bonds are the only way to survive. The individual is a dangerous way to be in the world. The story comes up in The Gift, and I want to read you just one line he says after this story. He says, If we take the synthetic power of gifts, which establish and maintain bonds of affection between friends, lovers, comrades, if we add to this a circulation wider than a give and take, we shall soon derive society, or at least those societies, family, guild, fraternity, band community church that cohere or hold together through faithfulness and gratitude now while gifts are marked by motion and momentum at the level of the individual gift exchanges at the group they offer equilibrium and coherence a kind of stability in their anxiety they all are told to give their earrings thrown in the fire Out comes the calf and the community almost dissolves at mount sinai but when they give freely and it overflows and they build the tabernacle, it becomes the occasion of their stability in the wild places. Put this line. You could also say, to put this point conversely, <clears throat> that in a group that derives its cohesion from the circulation of gifts, the conversion of gifts to commodities will have the effect of fragmenting the group or even destroying it. One more time. In a group that derives its cohesion, its togetherness from circulating the gifts. If you take those gifts and you turn them into commodities, into market goods that you buy and you sell, this will have the effect of fragmenting the group or even of destroying it. It would be like charging your spouse every time you wanted to have a kiss. It's not great for the marriage. There was a church, one of the largest, fastest growing churches in our country, in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, they exploded on the scene. They planted congregations all around the country, satellite campuses, and were always sort of pitching for money. And at one point, uh, they were asking for donations because they wanted to, to start churches around the world. So they took up these offerings for these new church plants. Unbeknownst to the congregation, after each person gave as they felt they were able out of gladness, the leadership and the pastoral team at that church, they took those monies and they decided that they would spend them by buying large portions of the lead pastor's new book so that that new book would end up on the New York Times bestseller list. They rededicated funds to a new purpose that was not what its intention was. In fact, they moved gifts out of the flow and into the coffers. They turn gifts into commodities. The author's book was on the New York Times bestseller list, and the congregation disintegrated within a month in that same year. So to talk about generosity, to talk about gift-giving, is itself a fraught venture. In fact, we talked as a staff and leadership about when we would have these sets of conversation, because if I feel like very strongly, and I know you all do too, about what does our life look like together? What are our practices together? And how do they sustain our faith? Then this is one of the things we get to talk about, is how to be generous in all areas. Uh, but we intentionally did not put these set of sermons in October, November, when we would be raising money for the end of the budget cycle, because this is not a conversation about how to get you to give us a whole bunch more money. This is, in fact, about how to cultivate the habits of heart that might evidence generosity. But those are the overflow. Of a life well lived. In fact, gratitude itself is the posture that we're gonna talk about today. And the proof of that posture is in your increasing generosity. So, here is the logic underneath a gift economy it is that the system is not, in fact, closed. This is the thing that we have to understand week to week to week to week to week, or moment to moment, which is that our lives are not self made, our salvation does not come from within. That God has somehow visited us in a way that has changed us. Which is why in our scriptures the movement of God all of the time is toward us from without happens over and over again in the scriptures. We've bounced this thing through the Bible before, right? God speaks into creation and creates out of generosity. God rescues God's people in the Exodus by seeing and moving down toward them. God moves with the prophets back into the lost places in exile. Jesus shows up as God in flesh. Like, that's the movement, right? It is somehow from where God is moving in to where we are. Now, if we believe this, that the gifts we receive, we receive undeservedly, it will do one of two things. It will either make us feel obligated in a way that chains us and makes us feel sort of closed down. Shoot, I'm now indebted to some force out there in the world. Market logic. If you receive a gift, you have to reciprocate with something else. It's a it's a it's a trap, it's an extortion. That's the broken version. The gospel response, the, the response of God's people is always to be in gratitude. Back to God. So earlier y'all were singing hallelujah. And if you were bringing those words with intention. As Pastor Leslie invites us to sing with. Then you were bringing some kind of gratitude into your heart. Hallelujah for what? For what? What kind of rescue? What kind of presence? What kind of belonging? Is it that that hallelujah is springing up from? Our response to God's action, right? And our response is always secondary to God's movement, is one of praise back. Sean, will you go to the next one? This becomes a circle. And in fact, it doesn't just move to God. My gratitude for what God has done for me moves to you. And your gratitude for what God has done moves back this way and moves over this way and moves next door. and moves right? It moves all. Through. And all of a sudden, the circle dance that is generosity, it sort of spins a kind of grace into the world that spreads and is quite infectious. This is the life of faith. Go into the world and make disciples. Spread out this story. This is what sits at the heart of things. And this is our tradition, that somehow our own generosity into the world, our giving of ourselves, of our possessions, of our time, of our vulnerability, of all the things we turn over to the world and to God, is always a response to God. Uh, this is I mean this grows out of a good deep reading of these stories, of this set of scriptures. But it also exists deep within how we're made. I love when this happens. The more we learn about the world, about our bodies, about, uh, creation, the more alignment I start to find in things. So for the last 20 years or so, they've been doing a ton of research into gratitude as a practice for anyone to move you into like, into well-being. Turns out that being grateful and practicing gratitude out loud has incredible, like, tangible health benefits. You're less likely to get heart disease. You're less likely to suffer, uh, Obesity that would be dangerous for your health. You, you will live longer. You'll have better connections with your family and your friends. Like all of these things that you would sort of, I wish that my life felt like this or this or this. Now we don't we don't inculcate virtue because we get something out of it. A good life grows out of a life well grounded in God. But there is some science here uh, that link gratitude and generosity together. It turns out Oh, who, who's a, I know that we've got Allison, you're a doctor. We've got some doctors in the house. I'm going to butcher all of this brain science. So if you're a brain scientist, um, just come talk to me later and uh, I'll apologize. But it turns out that there is this area in our brain in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. You know the place I'm talking about, right? It's like right in the front. Uh, and sort of the pathways that run through there. Uh, service both gratitude and our own kind of generosity or altruism. They exist in the same area in the brain. And not just that, but they're they're kind of like deep in the recesses. And, and as those pathways flow out through deeper circuits into our brain, they flow through this. It looks just like this can, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and this can is the area where we sort of judge risk and reward. Are these set of actions going to make me enter into a kind of dangerous vulnerability, or am I going to receive something I really need as an embodied human? Uh, this set of actions or this set of actions. So what they did, and then uh, this little spigot is there's one kind of other receptor down the line that says, here's a little like here's a little dopamine hit, here's a little pleasure hit, if you choose rightly, on this generosity and this gratitude thing. Uh, so what they did was they took people and they hooked them up to functional MRI machines so they could watch their brain patterns moving around. And they uh, showed them their bank account and they showed money either going into their bank account or going into a charity. So they didn't really have any choice over the matter. They were either going to become slightly more wealthy or they're going to watch a decision made that was for the world and not exactly for them. And then they just kind of watched how the brain worked. But what they did beforehand was they surveyed these folks to figure out what their altruism quotient was, like how generous they were innately. Were they grateful more often than not? Did they have a sense of their life belonging to the world and not just to themselves? If you came into this test and you plugged yourself in with a high propensity for gratitude and for generosity, then when you watched that money move towards someone else, all of a sudden you had this kind of wash of joy. Because you already were predisposed to not be living your life for yourself. And of course, if you didn't, then you would have this kind of hit of joy and dopamine if you got a little bit more money. Um, but here's the other thing that they did, is they took people after the study and they asked them to practice, genera- or practice gratitude, have a gratitude journal to write down notice to bring awareness to for weeks. And then they brought them back in and ran the test again it turns out that you can rewire this part of your brain so that a practice of gratitude will make you predisposed to generosity. Virtues, which we talk a lot about a life of virtue, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all, all of those, these are habits that when practiced actually change us. They make us more like jesus who clearly gets joy from giving all kinds of things away gratitude and generosity are pretty tightly correlated whereas one increases the other increases this is why paul in this letter to the church in corinth says over and over again like yes we need your generosity of spirit you need it but we are not going to beg, we are not going to force, we're not going to extort. This is not a command, he says, but this is an opinion or a bit of advice. Born out of love and voluntarily given. I have actually very little um, institutional anxiety about where our money is going to come from each year for our budget. Um, it's not because it's not necessary. I mean, like, right, Leslie, our paychecks come out of this. We are quite literally sustained in our life by your generosity. Um, but it's because the thing that we are trying to engender in one another is a grateful heart. Trusting that a grateful people will become a generous people thereby making possible the work God has for us to do in the world as this church. I just don't, I know you, I don't have a lot of fear. I can feel, sort of as i like hook you up to the fMRI machine, turn it on, figure out what makes your brains fire. Uh, pretty generous people. I have not always been very good at this, though, I will fully admit. Um, so a couple of stories I'll start with community. Um, I've been pastoring for a while, but in different con- contexts and different communities of faith. And I've been at various levels of maturity across that pastoring. And there have been other congregations and places where it has been harder to be naturally grateful for the work I was doing in those spaces. It was harder. It was more fraught. The community had more tension or anxiety in it. And there are, comes a point at which, as a pastor, when you are unable to be grateful for the people you work with, it, it's almost impossible to be the pastor of that community. I've been in those spaces, and I've worked with friends who have been in those spaces. So when I came here three years ago, give or take, I decided that I needed to sort of immunize myself against the possibility that I could become at odds with the community that I loved and served. And the only thing I did was practice deep gratitude for you all, all the time. For like a whole year, when we were going through some really difficult staff transitions here uh, in our music department about a year and a half ago, I knew that I and everyone else had the, had the propensity. We were at this point where we could shift toward fear or anxiety. And the only practice that I adopted... It was different. Was I started writing a weekly thank you note to everyone who helped on Sunday worship, name people by names to watch really, really closely, and to publicly say thank you for this and that and that. And at least for me, it was a radical move to center me in the flow of God, and then center me in the center of this community. Right, and that's like that's the move. That's the move over and over again. Uh, Our staff has the same practice, I believe. We invite one another into this all of the time. Our board has the same practice. If you served on our board, like I remember Zach, as he was the outgoing moderator, would ask us at various intervals, what is it that you are thankful for in this community? Give me an example of it. And it changes your posture with the community. There is a lot that is demanded of us inside of church, inside of becoming the people of God. And if we are not grateful for one another and our presence together, it can toxify really, really quickly. So, gratitude right in front of us, which turns into generosity right in front of us, and it becomes the engine at the heart of our community. This is not by accident. It is a habit, it is a practice, and it is a virtue. Second place where I practice this is in the closest relationship in my life, uh, which is my spouse, my partner, Corey. She's not here today, so I can talk about this a little bit freely. And if you know Corey, you know she's not going to listen to this sermon later online. So... <laughs> so I can say this and it doesn't either get me in trouble or give me brownie points um, I've mentioned before that uh, we've been married now for almost 17 years and we've been together for 20 that's uh, more than half of my life now that I've been with this person which means we have not liked each other all 20 years Right, if you know anything about marriage, you know that this, this sort of, there are patterns and there are waves and there are movements. And a particular time in my life, I was going what I would call subterranean, like fear, anxiety, growing up, maturing, all of those things was turning in on myself. Uh, that inward turn is part of how Augustine talks about the effects of sin. Uh, the soul curved in on itself. And that curving in is not just like individual. It affects all of your relationships, including in my case, my marriage. And I found myself all of a sudden not in sync, but at odds with. Uh, not chronically, but enough that it was a problem. And I decided that I needed a practice. And the only practice I could think of was one of gratitude. Uh, how do I move myself back toward? Just be grateful. Be grateful. Just be grateful. I'm not great at it. I'm, I'm not even good at it, but I'm determined at it. Just be grateful for this one person, and every day there's a reason to be grateful for this one person, deserve it or not. Uh, and you just keep you keep at it, and you keep at it, and and it changes. Whatever this circuit is, it's right here, or whatever it is, it's right here. Whatever we would call kind of our soul. Um, I have this line that I'm borrowing from somebody. Reena, you probably know the source. It's got to be a poet, right? That uh, in loving this one person, I'm learning to love everything and everyone. This kind of expansiveness. We've all been given a set of relationships. It might be a family member, a spouse, a child. It might be a community of deep meaning for you. And those become what I would call schools for love. Places where we get to practice with one person. In this case, gratitude. How do we keep a grateful heart right at the center of these most meaningful relationships. So that where there is damage, there can be healing. And where there is healed blessing, it can grow and reproduce and go outward. Gratitude is what I come back to all the time, even and still when things can go off the tracks. And then the source. What is my relationship with God like? Is it one of, um, God, I'm waiting for blessing. I'm waiting for you to give me what I deserve. I'm so happy that you found me, God. Uh, Or is it one of continual recognition at the gifts that are always moving toward me? For so long, so much of religion was built around feelings of guilt and shame that we aren't good enough and aren't deserving enough for the goodness that we can find at times. Um, Paul is obsessed with this word charis in the Greek, which is the word for grace. In our passage today, it gets translated like 17 different ways. But it is this force that God moves toward us. It is overwhelming your life right now. It is overwhelming my life right now if we can recognize it, it is flooding through this community of faith. There's nothing we need to wait for to be grateful to God for what we have been given. Various contemplatives, spiritual guides have said that our very being here is itself the first gift. Your createdness, Your by very nature image of Godness is the first gift. We all have that today. It's breathing in and recognizing that there is gift. The air is itself from without, sustaining us. It's breathing out. There is your body that is somehow working enough to keep you in this space your ears are alive and on fire to the words that are being spoken and not just the words that are being spoken, but if you're listening closely to like the breath of the person next to you, there are an abundance, an extravagance of gifts in this place right now. So I'm going to ask us just as a practice, to um, pull those to the front of your mind and your heart. Gratitude is different than just simply contentment or gladness. Gratitude has a source, it is directional. I am thankful for the way that this person has I am I, I will not pick on you Warren I am grateful for your for your eye contact when we talk that you were present with me in that moment It's a big deal. In fact, multiple times this week I've been privileged to sit with people across the table for lunch or coffee and for an hour to two hours they give me themselves and I give them myself. It is a risk and it is a vulnerability in the same way it's a risk and a vulnerability to write my check every week to this church. Giving myself, giving something of me that matters. I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to pull gratitude into your center. And then I'm going to ask uh, that we're going to have like an old-fashioned response time to a sermon where uh, myself and Pastor Gretchen are going to be up here at the front. And then Timna, who uh, led us in our prayer, uh, is going to be in the back. And we're going to sing one last song together. <clears throat> uh, the song is So Will I. This language of creation is always sort of pouring forth praise to God. It, it is in creation's very nature. The trees will clap their hands at the coming of the kingdom of God. And so it's our role to respond in the same way back to God. Uh, So often when we have prayer time at the end of a a teaching, it is usually like a prayer of supplication. Uh, I'm hurting in this way. I need healing in this way. I have unresolved conflict or anger. um, I feel like I've fallen off the path. But today I'm going to ask for a different kind of prayer, a different kind of practice together, which is one of gratitude. Uh, And so you can, where you are, practice this. But I'm going to be up here with Pastor Gretchen and Tim will be in the back. We would actually love to hear. It is powerful to share the things that you are grateful for with someone else. Uh, and so while we're singing, we'll just be here to meet you. And we would love, 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 love to say thank you to God with you for what your life is evidencing is God's grace. Um, if you don't feel like it's a proper for you to move forward or move to the back to meet Timna, then where you are, maybe you write it down. It's been shown, in fact, that if you have children, youth, sit down and write a thank you note to someone they have never properly thanked, and then send those kids into like a face-to-face meeting and sit down and read that note to a person that for months afterwards they are markedly different humans. There is someone in your life that has been like Christ to you. And you may not have told them ever or in a very long time. So maybe today is the beginning of that practice. Uh, also, next week and the week after, when we continue talking about generosity, uh, our staff has made just a bunch of little gifts for you. And so we're still in the process of making those gifts, these little gratitude beads, but we'll give those to you next week and the week after as just kind of like a physical reminder of this practice of gratitude. Breath in, giving thanks for what God is always moving towards you. And breath out as you respond in thankfulness and in giving of yourself back to the world and to God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin our time of sharing and singing. Would that be okay? God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you've made me. Thank you that my eyes are set forward on my face so that when I gaze at my brother and sister we share a kind of resonance that lets me know I'm not alone thank you God that when I'm embraced I can feel it not just in my body but in my heart thank you God that you've not left me alone to work out my faith But have given me a people, a community, a living witness to my life in conversation with yours. Thank you for the struggle of faith that grounds me in the deepest and best versions of this story. Do not make this path easy, but just stay with us on it. Course, always above, beyond, and within all of this gratitude, we are thankful for the gift of your presence in Jesus, who held absolutely nothing back, giving life and limb and breath, giving forgiveness. It is the story that orients us to your kingdom. And it is the act, the work, that makes it possible to step into your world. So thank you for not holding anything back. It is enough and more than enough. It is an abundance and a superabundance. It is grace upon grace, and it is the bedrock of our existence. So bring us deeper into this truth by the power of your spirit and all God's people said, Amen.